0: You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. My wife's favorite drawer in the, in the cooking place is the measuring cups. She measures everything. Everything's, I mean, it doesn't matter what she's eating. Everything's measured. Everything, I don't understand it. She measures everything. She's, that's why she's downstairs and I'm saying that right now. She's just like, everything's measured. Everything's precise. Everything's perfect. I like limitations. I like measures because why I like to pursue and conquer and, and defeat them. So when you watch the Olympics, which we just watched, I was enthralled by it. And if you saw our picture on Facebook, you notice that our antenna didn't get uh, the Olympics on the ground. I don't know if anyone saw this. It's kind of comical. Um, we only got it on our ceiling. So we resorted to duct tape because we're patriotic and we taped our antenna and we got the Olympics. Worked beautiful. But... In the Olympics, it's amazing because we're watching them to break the world record. Everything's about breaking the world record, right? I mean, they can break it, not only get first, I mean, we want them to get first, but more than the first, we want the record broken. And if you'll remember back, uh, just, which we won't remember because most of us aren't alive or you look really good for your age, but when we first started clocking marathons and the mile, the mile was run at about 4 minutes and 13 seconds, I believe, in the early 1930s. Today, the record's about 3 minutes and 43 seconds. So we love to watch things progress. Right now, the world record for a marathon is two hours and three minutes. It was set in 1999 by some guy in Morocco running it in Germany. That confuses me. The record's of two hours and three minutes, and then sooner or later, we don't know when, and no one's projecting it, but somebody's going to break a two-hour marathon. Someone's going to be able to run 26.2 miles in under two hours. That just sounds exhausting. Let's just all take a deep breath. But we all just anticipate the breaking of limitations. But the amazing thing is that if we're not careful, limitations, we can actually idolize them. Listen to me. Where our limitations that we constantly try to break are actually supposed to serve to us as a testimony that there's limitations that we'll never be able to break. For instance... Um, no one will ever run a marathon in two minutes. Well, we are like, okay, we, we know that. Of course, Jerry, that's, that's just foolishness. But in the same sense, we understand that the record is, well, what, when will we reach the point of human capacity? When will limitations be met? See, there's something about us that's trying to escape our limitations constantly. It's constantly trying to break out of it. And what I want to show us simply today from the text in Acts chapter 4, is that Christianity is not about escaping our limitations, but actually embracing them. It's not about escaping our limitations. It's not about escaping who we are, but actually embracing them. We've been talking about what it is to live a spirit-filled life. And I'm just going to recap from Acts chapter 3, a quick story for the sake of time. The text tells us that Peter and John were on the way to the temple gate called Beautiful for their time of prayer, which is around 3 p.m. And as they're on the way to the temple for their daily prayer time, there's a man being carried there that's a beggar. He's absolutely paralyzed, and he's known as the beggar. It's interesting uh, that the, the Scripture relies so much, and this is actually something that authenticates the reality of Scripture, is that it relies so much on um, eyewitnesses. Now, some people will think, well eyewitnesses, like, that's not a fair account, you know, we're not quite sure about it, but it's interesting that you'll notice over and over and over, the scripture does not run away from eyewitnesses, but actually runs to it. And I'll also say on the point of just, just preaching the text to you and letting the Bible press your heart is this, if you were trying to make up a story to get people to follow you, would you start off with a virgin birth? Just saying. See, the Bible doesn't run from this thing. It embraces it. It's not like, all right, let's, let's pull religion together. Let's claim that he was born of a virgin. Listen, if I was trying to get people to follow me and starting a religion, I wouldn't start off with a virgin birth. I would start off by somebody from royalty or somebody that was really wealthy and somehow perfected humanity, not somebody that was born of a virgin. So the Bible just talks about there's a beggar. See, when they say the beggar, we all know someone like that. You might not even know one by name, but when you shop, when you go to whatever place you um, kind of work or live, you know somebody who's known for their infirmity. So you go to Walmart and you know the person that's there every day, then that's just kind of their thing. They're really nice, they give you the sticker, they smile, but they're known for their infirmity. Now, it's just, it's just the way it is. We kind of we don't really know them, but we just kind of we know them. So when he talks about the beggar at the temple gate called Beautiful, in the first century, or in this first part of the century, everyone would go, oh yeah, that guy, I, I know him. And see, what happens is that this beggar turns to Peter and John and says, Do you have money? Do you have anything that I can have? Just like his, you know, he sits down and gets ready to do his thing. Do you have any money? And Peter and John look at him and say, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. I don't think we really recognize how profound of a story this really is because we read it just kind of in a one-dimensional plane. Imagine if this happened to you. I mean, I know it's really hard to put yourself in, in somebody's shoes, but I couldn't even imagine that, that if somebody was literally um, crippled from birth. I mean, this is, this is something that's just, it's, it's profound. Imagine if somebody was crippled from birth, their reaction and how everyone around you would react. And the text tells us this is man gets up, and he's jumping and leaping, and he's running over, and he's clinging on to them, and he's freaking out. And then this is amazing. He goes on to say this in Acts. The account says this, Peter and John, as the crowd begins to gather around them, how many people would agree that if something like that happened today, a crowd would gather? I I mean, something that's credible and notable. I'm not talking about something that we can just say, well, that's psychological, you know, we're just playing mind tricks. I'm saying somebody that was crippled and now is made whole, a crowd would gather in a hurry. People begin to run to Peter and John, begin to press around them. And they're saying, like, what's your secret? What's your deal? How did you do this? And I love what he says. Peter goes, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? This is this is amazing. Why do you wonder at this? Now, I, I have to confess, if that happened, I would wonder. Just saying. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the guy that's like, well, why, Kenny, why are you wondering? Of course they're healed. No, no, that wouldn't be me. I'd be like, What? You, like, I'm the, I, I, that's, I, I'm kind of like, I have to be honest with you, I'm skeptical, I've got a conflict of personalities, that's why I'm interesting, I've got, I, I, I've got a conflict, I've got multiple personalities, no, I, I hope I don't, all right, let's. I, I have this thing in me, though, that's naturally skeptical towards things, but also trusts God for the impossible. So I have this constant conflict of my mind. Because when I see Peter say, men of Israel, why do you wonder? I wouldn't go like, I wouldn't be the guy that's like, oh yeah, why do you guys wonder? Like, please. Have you ever met anybody like that? Come on. somebody You've, you've met somebody that's like overly religious like that. And you're like praying. And they're just like, well, just trust the Lord. You know it's going to come through. And it's like in a creepy way, though, it's not even like they really mean it. They're just like saying it. Come on. You, you've been there in that conversation, and you're just like talking about a rough time that you're going through. And you're like, man, things are just really tough. And you're like, you know, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you're looking at like, you don't believe that, but I know you just told me. See, I'm not good at that. I'm not saying that there aren't people that really have that fortitude in them. I hope I am one. I'm maturing to be one. But I'm simply saying we've run into people that are able to kind of talk the talk and talk the game without doing it. See, when I see Peter say, why do you wonder? Peter was able either to do one of two things. Either he really thought that or he was able to suck it up right on time and be like, why do you wonder I always do this? But instead, he doesn't say that. He goes like this, Men of Israel, why do you wonder, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, I believe it says piety in the ESV, that we made this man walk? Now this is amazing. He goes, why do you stare at us? In other words, what are you looking for? What are you looking into me for? What are you trying to discern or discover or distinguish or separate between what's in me and what's not in me? What's inside of me? Why do you stare at us to figure out what is it about me that makes it different than you? And what Peter says is absolutely profound. He says, why do you stare at me as if you think by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? That's unbelievable. Because Honestly, if something like that happened in our day, the first thing we would ask is, wow, what power do they possess? What godliness do they possess? Instead, Peter absolutely shifts that and goes, "Mm, it's neither. Wow. It's not by my power nor by my godliness that made this man walk. Now, mankind, I want to suggest, is limited in, in three ways. And just for the sake of time, I'm sure we're limited a lot more, but we're limited in time. You can only do so much at one time when you multitask you, you can only do so many things you can only listen to one song at a time. Have you ever noticed that you can only read I, I personally read better if i 'm listening to the same song on repeat i don 't know what it is if I listen to the same song on repeat, then it helps me focus on what i 'm reading but you can 't listen to two songs at once and read you 're limited there 's an interesting maybe you 've seen the the talks on the internet that 's called ted it 's a Kind of, They bring just a bunch of great thinkers, and they do presentations. And there's a, uh, a doctor named Aubrey Gray, and I'm not saying that he's credible. I don't personally know him, but I know that he's been referenced. And his whole thing is about reversing aging, reversing the effects of aging. He believes, and he just came out with this thing, that there are people on Earth today that will live possibly because of the advance of technology to over a 1,000 years old. Now, I'm not here to argue that. I don't know if it's possible. That's not my deal, all right? That's, that's, I had Chinese food last night. I'm not sure if that really helps me with my age lasting longer or not longer. It was takeout. Just saying. Hopefully, my, my goal is like 90, 95. If this dude wants to live to 1,000 years, I'm excited about it. I'm not really quite sure as long as my knees feel good, All right. But his, his whole thing's about reversing aging. But the interesting thing about that is, even somebody who's so kind of extreme into that, that his whole thing's about reversing aging, he even sees the limit as a thousand years. He doesn't come to the point where he says that people will live immortal because we all know, in a sense, that there's something about this that just we're naturally limited to. See, another thing that we're limited to is in potential. We recognize that in potential, it's funny if you follow sports um, that. Uh, when people come up, it doesn't matter what if it's... I'm not just talking about football or basketball. Whatever kind of sports or something that's... Or prodigies. Let's just go prodigies. Musicians, if you will. Somebody comes up, they have so much potential. And I love things like this. This man has unlimited potential. What does that mean? What, what does it really mean to have un, He's unlimited potential? He's unlimited. You no, know, I, I recall listening to an ad this past week... Um, from ESPN, the radio in town and they're doing a ad. If you want to become a, um, whatever, a rep for them and sell ads or something like that. That just sounds horrifying to me. So, uh, but so you, I'm listening to it and it's interesting. It's, if you're looking for a great career with unlimited potential of earnings, really in Scram. just say selling radio slots. I mean, let's just be real here. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of when we're dicing words. So, unlimited potential of earnings. So, that, if we're really being honest, you're saying that you could own all of the money in the world through your job selling radio slots if we're breaking it down. All right, I don't believe you, therefore I won't do it. See, we all understand that there's a limitation even to when we use, we use kind of caricatures or exaggerations to say that there's these limitations, oh, unlimited potential, and he's unlimited, in, you know, even in power. See, we're limited in, in time, we're limited in potential, and we're limited in power. We're, we're limited. But yet we somehow convince ourselves and find our identity sometimes in that we can break certain limitations. But the truth is you could be the best track star that you're a terrible basketball player. You can be a great musician. You might break a limitation there, but at the same time, you're a terrible husband, a terrible mother, a terrible son or daughter. See, we all have limitations, things that box us in. But I want to suggest that our limitations actually point to something almost in a foreshadowing or something that's just like if we could peel back a veil and see that God's right on the other side of those limitations begging us to come in. I was reading this uh, this week, I posted it on my, my Facebook, and J.R.R. Tolkien has a thing, an essay, it's about 15 pages long, called On Fairy Stories. And uh, now, On Fairy Stories, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know some of the books that he's written. And he led C.S. Lewis to faith. C.S. Lewis at that time was an atheist, at best agnostic, really an atheist though. J.R.R. Tolkien was a Catholic, And he led him to faith in Christ by actually through fairy stories. Now, I know that sounds kind of odd, and I'm not talking about fairies that dance around. But what he talks about in this essay, just to give a brief summary of it, is simply this, that there are two types of belief. There's primary belief, and there's secondary belief. Primary belief is when we talk about facts, if so-and-so went to the store that's in this room and we know that they went to the store and then they came home, but there's a whole other world of secondary belief, and secondary belief is something that all of us long for. That's why our culture loves movies. You watch Lord of the Rings, that's as you watch Lord of the Rings, you're Captivated by it because there's this plot, and when the characters feel pain, you feel pain, and when they're scared, you're scared, and when they win, you win. And there's something in it that's drawing you in in an otherworldly way. It's beyond just, you know, reading something or imagining something. It's almost as if you feel it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You watch a movie, and, and you, you turn over, and somebody's just weeping, and you're like, It is a movie, and you almost have to tap them and let them out. It's a movie. This is not real, right? Jesse showed me a video this past week that uh, this is absolutely hysterical and I won't show it here just because it's too funny for church. Um, but this, this, literally, this lady watches um, Return of the Jedi, a Star Wars movie, for the first time. And his husband, or her husband, uh, films her because apparently she gets overly attached into movies, And she's weeping at the return of the Jedi. I mean, to the point of, like, nervous breakdown. I'm trying to find out who she is so I can call an ambulance to get her. I mean, she's over and above and out of control. I know that sounds funny. But, I mean, you watch movies and, you know, the romantic comedies. And it's just, it pulls you in. And when, when he leaves her, it breaks your heart. And when they get back together, it feels good. And at the end, when she gets the job and the new haircut and the new glasses and the new shoes, which is never about a movie, you feel good. There's something about it that just—it it, just—it it, it feels good, and see, in that, in that, it's actually drawing on something called secondary belief. And Tolkien says this: that secondary belief, though people want to dismiss it, dismiss it as if it's just some modern occurrence or some fantasy that we don't need. He says it's actually that historically, throughout. All cultures generations ago is something that's rooted deeply in us. So that's why when you see archaeologists uncovering the craziest stories and myths and folklores from days gone by. And he says for this reason, not that we don't need it, but it's showing something in mankind that's beyond, in essence, beyond the veil. It's a hope that we have, that we're hoping for things to be made new. We're hoping for a world that has no limitations of time. We're hoping for something when all things are made new. We're hoping when things would work out and it pulls on us inside of us and yet we're limited in our space and time but yet we have a desire for something beyond. See, we have to realize first that mankind is limited but number two, God is unlimited. God's unlimited. There's a, a song, a great song by um, a guy by the name of James Blake and he's Kind of emerging artist, he redoes all kinds of stuff, and he, he the song called is called limit, uh, There's a limit to your love, and I, I love it. It's just a, a crazy. I'm not even sure what kind of music it is, but he has just it's a couple lines. There. He says, "There's a limit to your love, like a map with no ocean. The map with no ocean. Oceans are the defining boundaries. It's a map that has no boundaries, like a waterfall in slow motion. Something that can how far waterfalls go in slow motion never ends." See, we, as humans, we can play out our limitations and pretend that they're not there. Or we can throw them out as far as we can or try to extend them. But the truth is, there's no such thing as a map with no oceans. Every map has limitations. But God, beyond limit. The creator is not limited to creation. The creator is beyond, above. It's not even just a higher rank It's not just one grade up. It's almost, if I could use an analogy, which still falls short. The difference between junior high and high school is not just one grade. It's an entirely different way of life. It's not just that you get one year older and things just you add to. And you know this in school. It's not that you just add to last year, but it's actually a different way of life. And high school to college and college to career. It's not just adding on the same. It's literally a a different phase of life, a different dimension. See, the Creator is not limited to anything. In Psalms chapter 8, David recounts this, and he says, When I look at the heavens, I think, Who is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that thou visits him. When we look at the stars, see how they shine for you, and it was all yellow. (laughs) Only a couple people got the Coldplay reference there. When you look at the stars, though, and you see the vastness of creation, something should provoke in us a recognition that our limits are limited. But the Creator has invaded limitations. The secondary belief that we have that all things would be made new has invaded primary belief in the person of Jesus Christ. What we hope for, what we wish for, the limitations that we feel have been broken through the historical person of Jesus Christ. The desire that I have in me to finally be set free of my limitations, of my failings and my fallings have perfectly come in the risen son of Jesus Christ. See, secondary belief isn't just imagination but is reality in the person of Jesus Christ. We have limits. God has no limitations. The God that's limitless, it says in Philippians, took upon himself the limitations of humans. Philippians chapter 2 says that he became flesh. He became human. He laid down his prerogatives of deity. Not that he laid down his deity. He laid down his prerogatives and took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself to death and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. See, this is amazing because God reaches us in our limitations and doesn't just give us a second chance, but transforms us After this miracle in Acts chapter 3, the teachers of the law bring together Peter and John and begin to put them on trial. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this? What what do we do with this miracle? I mean, this isn't just somebody that's claiming to be healed and we can write it off as crazy. This is a person that we all know was, was, was a beggar, was crippled. Everybody knows that's who they were. And the scripture says this, as they brought them together and they, as they began to test them, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Watch this. They... Looked at Peter and John. And the first thing they noticed was that they were uncommon. and They were common men and uneducated. There's something in us. It's amazing. Inadequacies. We all feel them. We all try to escape them. We all try to hide them. We hide behind our inadequacies by... Not embracing them, but actually by finding our identity in something. Job and career and relationships and appearance. We all hide behind inadequacies. It's true. If you really be vulnerable, if we're really vulnerable with one another, which the truth is, it's, 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 it's uncomfortable. If you're really vulnerable with somebody, your vulnerability with them is not talking about how great your career is or how great your family is or how great you, you, know, you look. That would be kind of awkward. Every time at night, you're like, honey, don't I just look fantastic? I just I have a fantastic job. She's like, okay, quiet down. Let's let's talk. You know, vulnerability has nothing to do with your, your social standing, your economic stance, right? It just doesn't. Because the truth is, when you get vulnerable, those are the last things you talk about. What you talk about is, is how hard your job is, how bad you feel about the way you look, how vulnerable you are, how insecure you are about your job, how stressed out you are. Not when you first meet somebody. It's all things are great. Fantastic. Life couldn't be better. It's really not. Actually, if life got any better, I don't even think I would live anymore. I don't even know if that makes sense. See, when you get vulnerable with somebody, you actually embrace weakness. It's not, it's not so much that you project strength, you embrace weakness. But yet, as believers, there's something in us that feels these inadequacies. And we, when we hear of miracles, I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about restoration of everything in life. When we hear about God using somebody in a profound way, or God maybe even using us however he wants, we don't know. The first thing we look at is our is our inadequacies, and we try to find out how can I become extraordinary and overeducated. Not that education's bad by any means, but to the point where education isn't for the purpose of advancing what we want to do, but how can I hide behind my education or how can I become extraordinary so that I can feel like God can approve of me. When it says that they looked at Peter and John, they took note of two things that they were common and uneducated. What radiated off of them wasn't so much that their ability to project boldness in their own human forthrightness, I guess, or their own ability to show, look at me, I'm, I'm equipped, I'm strong to be used by God. No, they actually were known for and embraced the fact that their weakness... Paul the Apostle, it says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I didn't come to you, he says, I came to you in fear and trembling. It's hard to really imagine that. We think the Paul the Apostle, he shows up and historians actually believe that Paul was a short man with a crooked nose, possibly had bad eyesight, and was a terrible speaker. That's wild to think about. If you do any little any research on Paul, Paul wasn't this guy that was ready to go tackle mountains. Let's go for it. He was no UFC man. He didn't look like me, all right? There, there, was, nothing, there was nothing about him that had this physical physique. There was nothing there. He wasn't a specimen like myself. He was just, he was just a simple man. Just simple guy. Simple man. Short, possibly crooked nose. I'm not sure how they figured that out, but that's, I guess... Something about his writings leans to think he's got a crooked nose. However they came about with it, though, most historians believe that he was not a persuasive speaker. He wasn't somebody that powerful. And the truth is, if you look at his writings, he hints over and over and over that people are actually rebelling against his authority. Why? Because he'd show up in person. they say, your letters are strong. You show up in person. You can barely speak to us. You write these letters like, you're, like you got it together and you're an apostle. You show up and go, that, that guy's done what? He's done what? Come on, get over get over here put Jared up on stage. He's gorgeous, all right? I'm kidding. See, the apostles, the, the, the apostles actually embraced weakness. They embraced it because they recognized that their limitations were okay because they serve a God who is unlimited. And when we embrace our limitations, that's when limitations come off. Not when we try to ignore them, not when we try to cover them up or hide them. No, actually, when we embrace the fact that we are common and uneducated because even your greatest education, you can be a master or a doctor in one area and you're clueless in another. Aaron and I were watching Jeopardy last night and there was a guy that was a geo-something technician. And I mean, this guy was as smart as could be and he knew all the answers on Jeopardy. I believe he won last night. Thought that we watched Jeopardy all the time. I feel like I'm dating myself. I'm 23. Scary. Happened to be on We're watching Jeopardy, though, and this guy's a geo-technical thing. Does a lot of stuff. I have no clue. I can guarantee you, though. First of all, he has no personality. I know that. Number two, though. It's true. Number two, though, was this. That even though he was brilliant in one area, he was absolutely nothing in others. And I'm not busting on him. I'm recognizing that in all of us, you can only be a master of so many things. You, you jack of all trades, master of none. You, typically, you're not jack of all trades. You're just goofy, right? You, you can only do some. Th- only can only handle so many things well. You can only do so many things good. You can only have so many things that are going together. See, Christianity is actually not about us trying to qualify ourselves, but recognizing that in Christ you are qualified, just the way you are. In Christ you are qualified. See, this same apostle Peter. We have a tendency to exalt him or lift him up as if he somehow perfected his humanity. The truth is, Peter was probably the most, if I can say from what we see in the scripture, the most I would I'd say carnal of the Apostles. If you remember, just just a few chapters and recognize that Jesus' ministry only lasted three and a half years before he was crucified. So the time lapse here of when this happened, Peter just denied Jesus, and it actually talks about that he called down curses. And when he called down curses, it's interesting. Some commentaries actually say that he was calling down curses not on himself but on Jesus, trying to say that I'm not a disciple. Look, I'm cursing him. Uh, I'm just let's just be real. If you just saw me two minutes ago out front cursing down the Lord Jesus, I doubt you would want me up on stage going, hey, this is great. I go, there's conflict of interest here. And listen, I'm not, I'm not endorsing that type of behavior. I'm simply saying this. We have a tendency to think that our behavioral modification in how I modify behaviors, therefore God will approve of me, therefore when I'm approved, God will use me, when the truth is the gospel is the absolute Reverse of that. God approves you in Christ. You are new in Christ. You are renewed in Christ. Therefore, you are motivated. It says in Titus chapter 2 that it's the grace of God that teaches me to say no to ungodliness. It's not that I say no to ungodliness, therefore I receive God's grace. Because I receive his grace, now I do good things. No, it's I receive his grace, therefore I'm motivated by his grace. I'm motivated by His grace. I'm redeemed. Do do, do you hear how incredible this is, though? What I'm simply saying is that the difference between God using us for His kingdom is not about another move of God coming towards us or changing who we are. It's simply recognizing who we already are in Christ. The difference between where you're at and where you imagine yourself being is, has almost nothing to do with God initiating anything else. It's you simply believing in the finished work of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. See, we strive for an approval that he's already given us. If I do this, God, will you approve of me? I simply want to say this, that you are approved in christ you are qualified in christ there is nothing you can do or not do that separates you you are qualified now the only distance between you moving in god's presence and power or knowing him or whatever you want to call it whatever label you want to put on it, the only difference is between here and here 12 inches getting it from here to here where we don't just simply read That those that are free are free indeed. That I don't simply read that I'm a new creation in Christ. Like, oh yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ. Like like the one when we talked about at the beginning. I'm just going through, I'm a new creation in Christ. Okay, stop. The only distance between us really living this out, it's not about God coming down again. See, the scripture says he's already come down in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have to look for another resurrection. We already have one. We don't have to look for another Messiah. We already have one. We don't have to look for another miracle, another explosion, another sign in the sky. We don't have to wait for a postcard with your name on it that says, I'm ready to use you now. Thank you so much for doing that. You don't have to wait for that. Simply, it's about becoming who we already are. Scripture says in 1 John that when we see him, we'll be like him. When we see him, we'll be like him, for as we are so, as he is, so are we in this world. The scripture says that the truth is inside of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can never get closer to God once you come to faith in Christ Jesus. You cannot ever get closer to him than you already are. Our experiences with God are just a recognition of what he's already accomplished. We're only understanding that we've already been brought near to him. The scripture says you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. It doesn't get any closer and any better. The scripture, though, commands us, commands us. I'm closing with this right now. Romans chapter 12 says, Be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What would it look like if we actually had a mind renewed by God? What would it look like? What would life be like if we had a mind that was renewed by his presence? How would we really process thought in life? What would it look like if, when we engaged people, we didn't see them through our own difficulties or our own brokenness, but we actually were able to see people and love them because of a renewed mind? See, the scripture says you have the mind of Christ Jesus, you have his mind. Let me, let me say a difference here just to make a clarification of this. There's a difference between your brain and your mind. There's a difference between your brain and your mind. Your brain is an organ. Just like your kidneys, just like your liver, just like everything, your heart, it's an organ. Your brain is an organ. It has the ability to capture information, process information, and spit it out. It's more profound than we can understand, or I can even describe. But it's simply this: it's an, at the end of the day, it's an organ. You cut off, you cut off a life source to it; it no longer works. The brain's an organ, but did you know that a baby, before it has the cognitive ability to reason or understand language, it can understand its mother's voice? Think about it: when a baby's in the womb, it can hear its mother before its brain is even developed. It knows its mom, and maybe you think, well, okay, let's, let's get the baby out of the womb now and delivered and cleaned up, all right? Now the baby's out of the womb, and now it's still not able to speak. But how many of us know that it knows who its mom is before it has the ability to say, Mom, can you give me a hug? In fact, it's trying to say that, so all it knows how to do is go, Ah! Help! It can't even say how, it just screams, Why? Because its mind is developed before its brain is developed. Its brain doesn't have the ability to process yet. It doesn't have the ability to be able to speak the English language. Its brain hasn't been developed yet, but its mind is fully aware. It knows when it's loved, and it knows when it's not loved. See, we confuse our brains with our minds far too often in the kingdom of God. We look at things like... Well, I'm not thinking a good today, or I don't feel very good today. Well, no, that's, okay, listen, y- y- yeah, you, you, that's, you have the mind of Christ. In other words, you have the capability or capacity. You have the mind of Christ. You have the capability or capacity to think his thoughts about you, to walk in union with him, to be with him. You have the capacity now because you are a believer. You have the mind of Christ. But how many of us can agree, you know, I have the mind of Christ. I don't think like Christ half the time. Get me behind the wheel of a car. Somebody cuts me off. All right. Nobody's like... Do you guys all walk or drive? I mean, I drive. I don't know about you, but I drive. When people cut me off, typically I'm not like, Lord, bless their soul. Like, Lord, bring them into the kingdom today. God, I just pray that you would just rapture their heart tonight and just, Lord, possess their heart like Abram. Just get on them. You know what I mean? And make many nations out of them, Lord. No, typically... Now, I'm waiting for that occasion to happen. Some guy cuts me off. My first reaction is not, Lord, bless him, and how can I, hey, can I... Can I give you an offering? Is there anything I can help you with? Like, I just want to sow into your life. Typically, I'm trying to figure out if there's a legal way to jackknife their car without really totally damaging them, and I'm just being honest. I'm trying to figure out, how can I hurt you without hurting you? How can I get in front of you... And like, cause I, I did that the other day, I pulled out in front of somebody, it was total accident, and the guy just does the and I do it too, I have to admit, but the slow. It's just painful. He goes from like fifty miles an hour just to like two. The stare down. And right there, as he does it, I go, Oh, so I on the radio? What's, See, we can, we can all agree that even though we have the mind of Christ, see, the scripture says we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. But yet, if we're real with each other, not just in driving, I mean, that's, a, that's just a goofy example, but the truth is you're going to walk out of this door and think thoughts about your life and your people around you that are not in line with Christ's life. So what we do, one of two things, we either just absolutely catapult that scripture and go, oh, that was nice, or simply we can say, listen, there's an invitation here when it says the scripture says I have the mind of Christ, I can recognize that that's not just something that I go, oh, I have the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ. and As if I have to brainwash myself, I have the mind of Christ, mind of Christ, mind of Christ. And until you sound like you're saying something else. No, I recognize that when it says the scriptures, I have been given the mind of Christ. I recognize right now, my brain is not thinking like the mind of Christ, but the scripture says, reckon yourself, count yourself, dead to sin, count yourself. That word reckon or count right there is almost where we would get our Greek word logic, or our, our English word logic. It's from a derivative, almost like a logic something or other. It's like, it looks exactly like logic. It's as if to say, listen, that this isn't necessarily just a, a process that we go, we don't just go, oh yeah, we got this. It's actually a logic to process. We have our natural brains, our organs. We have our redeemed soul, our spirit that's free. Think about it. Right now, in Christ, you'll never be more forgiven than you are now. You'll never be more forgiven. You are totally free. But yet, how often do we feel bound? How often do we feel we have to hide behind things and I want to say this morning, we don't have to run from our weakness. We just simply embrace it. We just go, you know what, I'm limited. But I serve a God who's not limited. And when somebody stares at me, it's amazing that for some reason, we try to perfect ourselves so that God would use us in some way. The truth is, if he uses us after doing that, then is the sign pointing to him or us If I do things for God to approve of me and then use me, well, and then he does, then, well, great. Now is the miracle, or I'm not just talking about miraculous, I'm just saying life. People go, wow, you're such a great person. Does it point to my morality? Does it point to my my discipline, my spiritual uh, passion, my fervor? Or does it point to a resurrected Savior? I love that. Why do you stare at me? I think that's amazing because the truth is if, if God used us in one of those profound ways, I think the first thing we'd look at ourselves and we'd stare at ourselves and go, yo, what did I do today? Got to do that again. Honey, what toothpaste you get? First thing I'd think is, how, how do, okay, what did I eat today? we try to model it, formulize it. How can I do this again the same way? Peter, for some reason, is able to totally remove himself go, why do you stare at me? Um, Jesse, if you just want to put a song on, or Ben, if you want to come up, it doesn't, whatever. Um, i just take a moment to just kind of pray and ask that the Lord would seal us in our hearts this morning. There's a miracle in the book of Acts that talks about that they laid out um, the sick on the streets. They laid out the sick on the streets. That Peter's shadow would fall on them. It's just a wild thought. And I was reading that one day. And I was like, Lord, how do I get my shadow to do that? So, you know, occasionally I'm just going like this. People are going, Jared, what's wrong with your arm? Nothing. Just trying something. Something wrong with your arm? No, don't worry about it. Just working on my shadow. See, I was reading that and I'm thinking, wow, his shadow healed somebody. It's profound. His shadow healed someone. And when I read that, though... The Lord convicted me He said, Jared, you're reading this wrong. See, you're reading as if it was something about Peter's shadow. And I was like, okay, this is weird. So I'm sitting there and I'm, now I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm reading this wrong with Peter's shadow. And I recognize. listen, a shadow is not created by what you have. A shadow is about what's overshadowing you. And the Holy Spirit spoke so strong to me. He said, Jared, Peter was transparent enough to let me flow through him without him getting in the way. And I recognize that it's simply this. When God flows through us, it's not because we earn it. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've done certain special things. It's the fact that as mankind, we are limited. But I can embrace my limitations so that when miracles do happen, when God moves in profound ways, the first question is not, where did you study? What did you do? How did you do that? How much time did you, what model do you use? No, people start looking and go, I don't know what it is about that guy, but he's been with Jesus. There's something about him that, it's just rubbed off. You ever notice that people and their pets almost look the same? I know it sounds weird. It's scary though. You see a guy walking down the street with a dog. And it's like almost a similarity there. I don't know why. I know it sounds strange, and I'm not building truth on that. I'm simply saying this. When you get around people, you start talking like them, acting like them. Now a dog's a little extreme example, hopefully. Everyone's looking and going, somebody just told me I had an ugly dog last week. (laughs) Easy. When you get around somebody, though, feel this. When you get around someone, you start dressing the same. You don't even realize. You start thinking the same. You start finishing each other's sentences. You start showing up wearing the same clothes. My goodness, where, where'd you get that thing? Oh, I was just shopping and I was there last night. Well, I'm talking about when you really know someone. You start talking the same. You start, See, when we start spending time with Jesus, I'm not just talking about opening up our Bibles for 10 minutes. I'm talking about when we're really being with him. When people look at our lives and they think, I don't know what it is about him or her, but he's been with Jesus. Christianity is not about escaping our weakness. It's not about escaping our humanity. It's recognizing that God has pierced the heavens, became human on our behalf, died in our place, approves us while we're human, and then desires to do something through us. It brings glory to him and not us. Let's pray. Lord. We invite your presence here today. We embrace our limitations. We embrace our weakness. You talk in Acts chapter 3. You show us a miracle of. A beggar, a crippled beggar that was healed. Medicine could only do so much. Doctors could only do so much. Lord, we face so many situations like that, that in your grace you've given us human strength. In your wisdom you've given us medicine. You've given us creativity as subcreators. But Lord, at the end of the day, there's parts in our lives and those around us that are still crippled. Lord, I pray that today you would reveal to us that we have the mind of Christ. That our brains might go one way. It might pull in an opposite direction. And it may even fight against who we are in Christ. But this morning, I declare over all our lives, over this church, that you are a new creation in Christ that the old things have passed away and all things have become new. I declare that you are a son and a daughter, that you are the bride of Christ, that you are a soldier in the army of God, that you are no longer a servant. Lord, you said in John 15 we're friends. Lord, this morning I pray that you would allow our brains to think with your mind. We're common, uneducated, limited in time, limited in potential, limited in power. But Lord, I pray that you would do through our lives something that goes beyond limitations and brings glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.